today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Ontario preparing for April 1st, April Fool's Day. People will be, give, people will be giggling for all kinds of reasons. Uh, April 1st, uh, opening of legalized marijuana shops in Ontario, roughly. Listen to this. This is amazing. Stats Canada has reported that since uh, the legalization October 17th and New Year's Eve, so this is 2018, we sold enough pot to fill 31 million joints. Think of that. And that's from October to New Year's Eve. But the New Year's Eve was really something, I hear. Uh, StatsCan reports that 4,500 kilograms of non-medical dried cannabis sold uh, in October. Uh, That went up to 5,500 by November. And 5,500, sorry, a little bit more, uh, by December. That equates to 31,388,000 half-gram joints. And that's all before bricks and mortar uh, cannabis stores open up on April 1st. To talk more about all of this, Brad Polis is with us, instructor, Ted Rogers School of Management, Ryerson University. He's with us now. Brad, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Good afternoon, sir. Is Ontario ready for this? Ontario consumers? I think they've been ready for a while. Um, I don't think that's what you mean, though. Is the, um, sy- is the system ready? Uh, this. I think the Ontario system, in the sense of the government part, is ready, but the but the retailers are going to struggle. Um, there's no doubt about that. There are some of them that are still waiting for their public notice periods to end before they can actually finalize their their application. So um, they don't have a hope, really, of being open open by April one. There are only five licenses actually issued as of today, all of which, by the way, I should say, are not too far from the sort of Toronto and Hamilton area. So. Uh, people in the northern part or the far east or west part of the country can can wait again. Uh, will there be penalties if they don't open on time? Oh yeah. So, so how can as, you how can you how can you enforce those penalties if you if there's roadblocks up that, that that retailers can't get their stores open on time? Well, you have to ask yourself who put the roadblock up. So first of all, there are several companies, five of which that did manage to get their no, uh, public notice period through and get their licenses on time. So I don't think you can argue it's on the Ontario government, that part of it. And this is part of the problem why I've been railing against this whole lottery system from day one. You've got a whole bunch of individuals, individuals, not companies, yeah. that were not the slightest bit ready the day they found out that they won the lottery. And had we done a proper analysis of companies, you know, who are uh, much better suited, I think, to enter the market, we would have had a much smoother rollout, I think. So instead of having a lottery, which would basically open up the licensing to anybody that wants it, um, providing you're qualified, of course, uh, as opposed to experts who would you know, be able to hit the ground running. Here's how I look at it. I came out of the telecom industry. Um, a lottery is probably the stupidest way you could have done this, yeah. quite frankly. You know, in the telecom industry, we used to do what's called a beauty contest, where they were giving out new licenses for some sort of service. They would make companies apply, and on the merits of the application, the government would decide. They had the courage to actually choose. Uh, then we've, in the last, say, 20 years, what we've done with uh, telecom is really moved more to an auction-type service, and that's where you let the market work. If we had done that, we would have had many more of the larger players playing, and uh, they'd be ready. 
Uh, how long would, uh, well, first of all, why the change? I mean, initially, uh, Kathleen Wynne said there were going to be 40 stores, and then uh, the PCs came in and they said they're getting rid of all that. It's just going to be a free market, and there'll be, there'll be a thousand of them. Uh, sure. And then all of a sudden they turned around and, and, and went back, you know, even less than what the Wynn government had with 25. Why, why did they arrive at that? Is, is it, I think, I believe they said it was due to supply. So, yeah, and those are two very different files that you just described there, Scott. So let's take the first one, though, which was the decision by the Ford government to move away from Kathleen Wynne's original plan for government-operated stores. There are very few people in the industry, if any, that think that's a bad move. So that was a really good policy move in, I think, the opinion of virtually everybody in the cannabis industry. And you hit the nail on the head in terms of the stated reason for the Ontario government setting a limit of 25 stores and then hence having to have a lottery, um, it's being blamed on the shortage. And the shortage in the cannabis, in the legal cannabis space is real. It's being worked out and it'll be worked out, I think, over the next quarter or two. Um, but that, that is the reason why the government has limited us to, to 25 stores until later this year. So how long will this model be in place before they expand it? The lottery model? Yes. Well, it's unclear. It's unclear whether or not the, the next set of stores will be apportioned out by lottery or some other mechanism. Um, at some point, though, it's going to be I guess there's nothing. I guess there's nothing to say that they can't change it, that because the first uh, 25 were done by a lottery, they aren't, are going to do the next 25 that way, I guess. I think it's quite possible they may just move to a merit-based system going forward, and people can apply. They'll, they'll open the floodgates at some point, probably around the end of this year, and uh, people will just be allowed to apply, and on the merit of the application, it will be approved or not, and the market will be allowed to work. So uh, do you think this is going to be a bit of a mishmash because it was a lottery system? And although April 1st deadline is approaching, there just isn't the experience there and with some of these situations to, uh, to, to allow that to happen? I mean, well, is it going to make it even more like a circus? Yeah, there's a couple of things at play there. So the first thing is, I should say, there are several of the bigger players that are working with these lottery winners, which is a good thing because they would, have, they would not have a hope of being ready by April 30th, let alone April 1st, without it. So companies like Tokyo Smoke and Tweed and Fire and Flower and Spirit Leaf and Alcana, these are all folks that have stores out west. Every one of them is working with at least one of these winners. Uh, but several of them appear to be going alone. And uh, I think they could probably kiss their $50,000 goodbye by the end of April because any of these applicants that aren't open by April 30th lose their entire $50,000 deposit. Why would they go to a lottery system? Was there, I mean, was that strictly blamed on the shortage? Well, but the, the, the shortage is, is a good reason, perhaps. I'll, I'll, I'll give, just for the purposes of the argument, um, the shortage is a good reason to limit to 25 stores. But once you've made that decision, there's a separate decision, which is how do you apportion the 25 stores? And as I've already mentioned, I think the lottery is one of the worst ways you could possibly do it. Um, for another reason that I haven't mentioned yet, it creates false scarcity. So what we've done is we've created literally 25 lottery winners yeah. in the sense that they've, they've ca- they're going to cash in, um, you know, to the exclusion of the rest of us Ontarians. And it just makes no sense whatsoever. I, I, I honestly can't think of a worse way to do it. Um, uh Everybody remembers when this was all uh, introduced and such, it was supposed to get rid of the black market. 
has this rollout actually hurt the black market or is it helped the black market? Because what it appears that they've done is made it legal so everyone can use it, but then they've cut off the supply, which just enhances the black market, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. You know, I, I was chuckling during your opening as you were you were talking about 31 million joints and so many, so many kilos of cannabis having been sold in the final quarter of 2018. The truth is, but by my calculations, I was just kind of doing them roughly in my head. It's about seven or eight percent of the market across Canada. Really? Yeah. So no, they haven't made much of a dent yet. And I mean, obviously, the five or ten stores that will likely be open on April one here in Ontario won't make a dent. We used to have a hundred dispensaries in Toronto alone, and mm-hmm. as you as you well know, Hamilton had quite a number as well. Do you think that uh, this government will go back to their initial uh, proposal where, you know, they just open it up again? I think at some point they will. The question is whether or not they'll hold another lottery mm. um, or whether or not they'll open it up on the next round. So I anticipate I, the next round will likely be the end of the year. So, so things may have opened up by then. So I guess the worry here is if you give licenses to too many storefronts and you don't have the supply, that they'll start getting the supply illegally. Uh, well, boy, if they do that, they'll be in big, big trouble. I think the greater danger is they'll go out of business. Yeah. It's already happened. And probably to jail. In Newfoundland. Pardon me? And probably to jail. Uh, well, if they do the former, absolutely, yes. But there is actually already one store from Newfoundland that has gone out of business because they just could not get supply and yeah. they weren't well capitalized enough to pay rent without selling product. Uh, you talked about the illegal dispensaries that were all around major cities and such. Will, will, are they gone forever? They're really diminishing, and it really comes down to how hard the government wants to crack down. Um, you know, they they continue to pop up, but at some point it just becomes more and more difficult for them to, to win. However, there's there's all kinds of um, illicit market that has nothing to do with storefront dispensaries. There has never been storefront dispensaries in rural Ontario or northern Ontario, and yet people up there smoke lots of cannabis. So it's the traditional, you know, weed dealer or, or nowadays even delivery services that are illicit. Um, will, uh, uh, will this introduce more people to cannabis or will it stop people from using the black market and then go to a storefront or, or uh, a government approved facility? So in the long run, I think both, um, when we get the alternate product formulations such as edibles and topical creams and sprays and such in, um, the fall of this year, uh, we anticipate at least some experimentation by people who haven't used cannabis, and, and of course, some of them will stay. Um, the second thing, the second question you asked is about moving people from the illicit to the legal market. I do think over the next couple of years, we're going to see a significant move, but it's probably going to be five years plus before we've, we've, you know, pretty much decimated that market, and it may even be longer. In the end, though, will you know, you keep hearing that, that the black market is still cheaper than what you can get it online for. In the end, won't prices have to come down then? I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to the government when I make that statement. Yes, you're absolutely right. If they don't get three things right, price, price in and of itself, taxation, which also obviously translates through to price, and then some form of brand expression by the Canadian brand, 
if they don't get those right, then the illicit market will be here for some time to stay. Well, I've often had experts on the show talking about the contraband cigarette industry and how in some areas it can make up a uh, up to as much as a third of what is consumed. So, uh, again, here you've got an industry that already has uh, a black market that's, that's providing for customers. So how are we not going to have the same problem with this as we did with contraband smokes? Um, we, we will. We, we absolutely will. But I am reminded, and you're probably old enough to remember as well, there was a time when the federal government drastically reduced the taxes on cigarettes yep. in a bid to um, wipe out the, the black market, and it was relatively successful. So, I, I, you know, I think if the government doesn't get the pricing and the taxes right, we're going to have an illicit market in Canada for some time. If they have the courage to drop prices to where they need to be, then we could we could see, you know, ultimately everybody in the legal market. Um, everybody ultimately moved to the legal market in the alcohol space. I think it'll happen. It's just a question of how long. Uh, how long do you think before this industry uh, settles down and, and there's some sort of uh, uh, consistency uh, similar to what you're seeing with LCBO or, or the beer store or such? Or, or the illicit cannabis market where there's no shortage? Yeah. Uh, my guess is sometime around the fall. And then, of course, we're going to have a whole bunch of new mayhem to deal with with these alternate product categories like uh, edibles and drinkables and the like and i can just imagine the the stories that we'll be hearing once people start experimenting with them never having done so before i remember uh, talking to experts when it came to putting beer and wine into grocery stores uh then obviously prior to october when this was all legalized every everybody was wondering what, what the next day was going to be like what how is this going to change the world? How is it going to change the country? Uh, by April 1st, with 25 stores, and if what you're saying, despite that huge number of, all, uh, of, of product uh, already sold, that it's still just a small percentage of what is actually consumed, April 1st, April 2nd, April 5th or 10th, is, is this even going to make a dent? Nope, not a dent. Five stores, five to 10 stores will be open on April one. So there were huge lineups at the stores out west on on October seventeenth, and yet it didn't make a tiny dent in the um, you know in the overall consumption of cannabis in Canada. And let's remember, all these Ontarians they're getting their cannabis somewhere today. So I imagine if you're in Brampton and Brampton is one of the stores that are open on April one, there'll be big lineups there because there'll be a huge novelty and probably right. for a few days or perhaps longer. But um, in the end. We haven't really seen cannabis use go up at all since October 17th. So, you know, we'll have a, a little bit of a hullabaloo around events, such as April 1, such as in the fall when edibles and the th- like come out. But then things will quickly die down and become somewhat normal. Uh, obviously, this has been legal since October 17th. Are other provinces, how do you compare provinces across Canada? Are some doing this better than others? Is there obvious uh, templates that seem to be working better than others? So, on the face of it, it appears that the the, the western um, the western provinces are having more success in rolling out stores, and I would attribute that directly to the involvement of the private market. So, how um, are they getting their supply then? So, no, they are still dealing with the same supply issues, but you know, some of them are they remain open with relatively limited supply. 
so that they can continue to build a relationship with customers and, and wave the flag. Um, here in Ontario, of course, we haven't had any. And then in Quebec and um, a couple of the other more eastern provinces, they've actually set days aside where they're just going to be not open. Uh, is is BC still having the same problem with illegal dispensaries being open? Yes, yeah, especially in the lower mainland, there's still a very, very uh, robust dispensary market. And the, the police in, in the lower mainland have been more hands-off with cannabis for a long, long time, so I think they're they're being much more lenient than say you would you would likely encounter here in Ontario. Do you think that's eventually what we'll see? Is that you know they'll the 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 legal template will roll out. They'll eventually get as many stores and they'll get supply and everything under control, and then there'll still be the odd one here and there open. Do you think? Can you see that, or will they yeah, will I, they move to just like a, a beer store or a liquor store? No, you can't do that. It's it's. So if you think about it, on average, fifteen percent of adults use cannabis. It's a fairly large voting block. So. I don't think it really makes a lot of sense for, say, the Ontario government, when there's no stores open, to be cracking down in a, in a huge way on the dispensaries. Once there's a, a proper functioning legal market, both in terms of supply, so from the licensed producers, and then um, a well-developed retail distribution network with proper coverage, then I think the government and the police are within their rights to, to say, okay, you know, we're going to crack down on the illicit market right. because there's now a legal alternative. Brad Polos has been with us, instructor Ted Rogers School of Management, Ryerson University, April 1st, uh, 25 shops in Ontario opening up. Uh, how many will actually open their doors April 1st? Will they all have to or they're supposed to, aren't they? No, some of them will be unable to, so right. they will be paying the $12,500 penalty. Brad, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Anytime. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.